Hey everybody, it's me, your old friend Josh, and for this week's SYSK Select, since we're nearing Halloween, I chose a wonderful little episode from 2014 called How Haunted House Attractions Work. Full disclosure, I was thinking that this one was going to be boring, but to my surprise, it was not. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I surprisingly did. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry, and this is Stuff You Should Know. The pre-Halloween spooktacular week of uh, dark content. <laughs> Although this isn't super dark. No. This isn't, you know, about attractions, haunted attractions. Right. That dark. Although they don't want to spoil it, but there is some darkness now. Is it dark or not? It's dark. Okay. But not all of them. Just, just the really creepy ones. So it's mid, mid-level mid dark. <laughs> what a train wreck this is. Yep. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who tuned in thinking that we're talking about haunted houses, sorry to let you down. Real haunted houses? Yeah. Uh, of which there may or may not be a thing. All the skeptics were like, oh, shoot. This I is wanted to <laughs> yell at you so bad. This is just about attractions. Yeah, these things are proven to exist. They are real. Because you can probably, if you live near any kind of major metropolitan area, you can probably find one somewhere in your town. I think you can find them almost anywhere. If you live in a major metropolitan area, that may be one of those really big daddy ones. Right. But chances are your small town has some form of haunted attraction, even if it's the local, uh, if it's for charity and they're trying to raise money for the local JCs, uh-huh. and it's uh, set up in like a school gymnasium. Or there's enthusiasts, known yeah. as home haunters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they will, uh, well, they basically set up a haunted house in their backyard. Yeah, there's some documentary mm-hmm. about two guys that are, I don't know if they do haunted houses or just take their Halloween. Um, decorating to extremes. Well, I think that's one and the same for a home haunter. Yeah, I think they're they're competing guys though in the same street. Yeah. That, uh, someone did a documentary on because the, they just keep like ramping it up and ramping it up. And right. Be- have become obsessed with outdoing one another. Right. But I don't know what it's called, so it just came to me right now. Me either. Yeah. But um, you do make a good point. There, ha- haunted houses are everywhere. Apparently in 2014, they expect, they being the American Retail Federation who likes to put out statistics and figures about holidays, um, they expect 33 million people to go into haunted houses across the United States. Yeah, about 4,000 of them, uh, 1,200 of which are the pay some money to go in professionally. Uh, about 300 are in theme parks, like you know, like amusement parks. Right. And then about 3,000 of them are the charity ones that I spoke of. Right, which you'll still pay, but they, yeah. they're not... They're not going to the Fat Cat Coke Brothers or whatever. The <laughs> profits aren't. They're going to, you know, your local community organization. Yeah, and those are fun. You know, you might get some light scares. It's not like these, um, the really super scary ones. Oh, where, yeah. Where you pay good money to, um, you know, to leave your body and wet your pants. <laughs> Just one more, one more um, little bit of, uh, of data, statistics, if you yeah, don't mind. Sure. Some numbers. Talk about role reversal. Remember, you used to be stat guy. I know. I got so bored it. Um, in 2014, again, the National Retail Federation expects Americans to spend $87 per person on Halloween, 
for a total of $7.4 billion. Yeah, that's right behind Christmas. Right behind Christmas. People love getting their scare on. They really do. I don't decorate at all anymore at the house just because I think I've talked about this before. We don't have trick-or-treaters mm-hmm. on my area of the street. Mm-hmm. So it just seems kind of pointless. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, what is the point at that point? Yeah. There is no point. Emily thinks we could do it just for people that drive by during the month of October, like, you know, to see the house. But I don't know, man. You got to, you got to, whatever you put up, you got to take down. (laughs) That and plus it's like you get no satisfaction from somebody driving by. It's not like they honk at your decorations. With little kids coming up and trick-or-treating, there's some sort of payoff, I guess, to your your effort, right? That's right. Scarring them for life. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So um, let's talk the history of this because it turns out that haunted house attractions are relatively new, but they're probably not as new as trick-or-treating in the United States. Did you know that? Not as new. So they predate trick-or-treating? By a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And when we look at, um, at first when I read some of this history, the ancient history, I was like, come on. This is from Fangoria magazine, by the way. Oh, it was? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then when I started really getting into it, I was like, you know what? There's actually... It actually did pave the way for what we see today. Yeah, in like ancient Egypt. Yeah, uh, to keep people from grave robbing, um, basically, they would uh, make little scary things like trap doors and um, snakes and uh, creepy insects and things to keep people away from uh, robbing their ancestries, their ancestors' graves. Right. They'd put an old lady in a rocking chair who would go, "Behold the ravages <laughs> of age." What's that from? The Simpsons. Oh, okay. Uh, Greeks and Romans um, uh, kind of paved the way as well. They had um, mazes and labyrinths set up with monsters and things. Even more than that, even more directly, they started stage effects. Yeah. Like fake blood and Fog. things like that. Yeah. Um, they, they, and that's where a lot of this stuff finds its roots is in early stage special effects. Yeah, it was... It was and it still is theater when you come down to it. It's just like an interactive participatory theater right. that you walk through. And then the, the Dark Ages, the medieval ages. I think the Dark Ages, the medieval ages are part of the Dark Ages, but they're not one in the same. But during the Dark Ages, yeah. um, the, the introduction of, well, the syncretism between Christianity and paganism that led to the adoption of Halloween um, – kind of saw rise to this uh, basically a scare show. Yeah, these little plays that would uh, scare people into remaining pious and remaining on the narrow path. Right, which is still very big today. Yeah, it has really made a is. huge comeback. Uh-huh. Um, but these these scare shows, if you want to call them that, I'm pretty sure that's not what they call them during the Dark Ages, but they were they featured plenty of gore and fake blood and violence and um, so the, the the people who went to saw, see him weren't necessarily going for the religious message. Right. They were going to, you know, be grossed out. Right. And get a kick. Yeah. Uh, during the Renaissance, Shakespeare was famous for um, incorporating, like, demons and ghosts and monsters in his plays. He loved those. And in the 1800s, we've talked about this before, there was a big rise in spiritualist and conjuring sessions and right. uh, mediums and fortune-telling and communicating with the dead was like a really popular thing during uh, the Victorian era. So it was debunking it. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
the Victorian era also gave us um, the Wax Museum. Yeah. Which very quickly went from celebrities to include scary stuff, too. So yeah. you could walk through a wax museum, and while the stuff didn't move or jump out at you, you would come across, like, some sort of tableau of, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde right. and, like, kind of a room, and it was scary and lit oddly, and you were meant to you – know, the intention was to scare you. Yeah. Even though it wasn't – again, there wasn't an overt scare or startle. Right. It was – it's something that definitely laid the groundwork for haunted houses to come. They were to instill dread in the hearts of all. Right. Uh, John Pepper invented something um, pretty neat in the 1800s. It was uh, sort of set up where you, where you use mirrors to appear translucent. If you've ever been to Disney's haunted mansion, um, I think Pepper's ghost is what they call it. Is still is that right? A trick they use to, uh, you know, it's when you, it's like a. Hologram, sort of. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, but using mirrors. Right. It's not like the, the Tupac hologram. <laughs> no. It wasn't high tech like that. No, but it still looks pretty awesome. That's right. Uh, the 20th century then, Chuck, is where we really find the progenitors of the modern haunted house, the dark rides. And there's this really neat um, article on Collectors Weekly. You ever read any of their stuff? No. They write a lot of really cool long-form articles about, like, stuff that's come and gone, like old oh, nice. fads and things. And one of them was, um, <clears throat> it's called uh, Jeepers Creepers, Why Dark Rides Scare the Pants Off of Us. Nice. But it's a Collectors Weekly article. It's an interview with the guy who collects old dark ride stuff. But dark rides were, like, if you went to some rinky-dink amusement park or whatever, yeah. they couldn't afford to have a roller coaster, but they could afford a little dark building with the walls painted black inside and a little train track or maybe a little boat or something yeah. that rode you through, and all of a sudden a skeleton popped out of the wall yeah. or, you know, this the, a strobe light went off or something like that. And these were the direct progenitors of uh, the... Haunted house. Yeah, and between that and the traveling freak shows, um, it, it really, like you said, everything was in place. And couple that with the fact that a lot of these houses from the 1800s were starting to crumble and there was, you know, nary a neighborhood that didn't have some creepy old vacant house. Yeah. And to keep their kids out, you know, people would say, parents would say, you know, that place, you don't want to go in there. Right, it's haunted. Because you may not come out. Which is, that was an interesting point that I definitely wasn't aware of. Yeah, but the, if you think of the modern conception of when you think of a haunted house, w what comes to mind typically is a dilapidated old Victorian mansion with a story around it. Yeah, you know, it's never just like, oh yeah, that was where uh, Mr. Johnson lived. He was a farmer and kind of a good guy. Yeah, died quietly <laughs> in sleep. No reports of his ghost at all. That well, what's probably funny is that was the real story. But right. what you heard was that he killed his family and right. had their name written on each uh, knife blade. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I heard. <laughs> the first official recorded haunted attraction, uh, according to this person who wrote this article in Fangoria. Becca McKendry. He says that uh, Orton and Spooner, the Orton and Spooner Ghost House in the UK uh, in the Edwardian Fair in 1915 was the first uh, like genuine haunted attraction. Yep, that was the first ghost house. And in France, they had something called the Grand uh, Guinal. Mm -hmm. And um, that was sort of similar, I think, and around the same time. So you've got that haunted house. Mm -hmm. You've got the dark houses that are coming up in places like Coney Island and stuff like that. Sure. And then finally, you have the 
first big-time permanent haunted house, as we understand today, which you've already mentioned, the Haunted Mansion, that, that was first built in uh, 1969 at Disneyland. Yeah. And apparently it was supposed to go up at Disney... Oh, no, it was. So Disneyland, the one in California. Yeah. And the one in Disney World, that came up in the 70s, right? Uh, late 70s, early 80s? I'm not sure, actually. I've been to that one, though. If you want to know more about that stuff, though, I think... Um, Stuff You Missed in History Class did, like, a whole episode on the Haunted Mansion ride. Oh, Holly from Stuff You Missed in History Class mm-hmm. is an absolute Haunted Mansion fanatic. Right. So I think they have a whole episode on she it. She knows more about it than anyone, more than Walt Disney himself knew, I think. But here's a little known fact, besides what you just said. Yeah, about Holly. <laughs> that she knows more about it than Walt Disney. Uh-huh. Um, originally, the, the Haunted Mansion ride was a walkthrough ride. Yeah. Like today's haunted houses. Um, but instead, they found that the, uh, I guess, the people, the ushers, couldn't get people on a pace sure. easily enough. Yeah. And so there'd be traffic jams and backups and everything. So they said, we'll turn it into a dark ride. And that's what they did. Yeah, which we'll get to this later, but that's a big part of uh, running your own haunted house is, is the flow. Throughput. Yeah. Uh, also, the haunted house and uh, the haunted mansion in Disney was based on the Winchester Mystery House, as far as the look. Yeah. They didn't want to have some cruddy old dilapidated psycho house in the middle of their lovely park. So they says, well, we can make it creepy on the inside, and let's <laughs> just make it like a really lovely Victorian on the outside. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast on the Winchester Mystery House, I recommend it. It's pretty neat. This one of ours. Yeah, yeah. Man, that was a good one. Not the Disney podcast. Right. <laughs> um, so then you mentioned the JC's Chuck, and I didn't realize this, but the idea of a semi-permanent so not not located in like an amusement park or something like that yeah but um a, a an annual attraction that just comes up around halloween and then comes down in november november 1st yeah yeah um w- as far as haunted houses go in the united states was created by the jc's which is the um, United States Junior Chamber, which is like a, a community organization with chapters across the country. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s, the JCs uh, hit upon this idea of, well, why don't you guys create haunted houses in your town to, as fundraisers? And the, it just took off like a rocket. And the JCs became synonymous in the 70s and 80s and up to the 90s with haunted houses. Like if you went to a haunted house in your town, it was probably put on by the local chapter of the JCs. Yeah, I remember specifically going to some of those as a kid, uh, as well as my church would have their own haunted houses, not hell houses. Oh, a haunted house, though. <laughs> yeah, just very, like, kid-oriented minor uh, spooks and goblins. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into hell houses later, but um, even though I did go to a Baptist church, it wasn't anything like that. Surprising. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that was before the concept of the hell house. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just like, we, we'd have, like, a Halloween carnival, you know? Gotcha. you bob for apples and... Uh, do that little uh, fishing game where you get something clipped to your fishing pole behind a curtain. Oh, yeah. Remember, I remember that? that. Those are awesome. Uh, it's so funny. Then, do you remember when you were a kid just being uh-huh. like, God, this Halloween carnival is really well done. Yeah. And then if you go to one as an adult, you're like, this is really junky. <laughs> like, are these kids really falling for all this stuff? And yeah, they, they are. are. It's wonderful. Yeah, my elementary school had a pretty rocking uh, Halloween carnival every year, too. It was one of the highlights of my year. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're right. And now the concept of bobbing for apples, there's no way I would put my face in that disgusting water. <laughs> no. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, 
out of the JCs in 1975, there were a couple of guys from a chapter in Bloomington, Illinois, named Jim Gould and Tom Hillegas. And they says, you know what? Let's just create our own haunted house uh, book, basically, like a, yeah, I don't know if it was a book. Yeah, I guess it was a book. And let's teach people how to open these up and sell it. And they distributed about 20,000 copies. And it was, uh, they formed the Haunted House Company. And it was the first real uh, group of uh, outfit to kind of just sell the plan and right. the stuff that you needed, the props. Right, like details, like how to do special effects. Like a starter kit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and because of the success of the JCs uh, in the 70s and 80s, private companies finally were like, oh, we can make some cash off of this yeah. starting in the 90s. And so the haunted houses that we think of today, the sure. for-profit ones, like Netherworld in Atlanta yeah. or a 13th story in New Orleans is another big one. Um, that that they came out of the 90s. Do you go to those? No. No interest? No. Yeah. Do you? No. Emily and I, we still may go. She ha- she has a hankering this year to go to uh, Netherworld just because we haven't been to I think we went to one in L.A. that was pretty decent. Uh-huh. Um, I'll go, I guess, if she wants to, but <laughs> it's not my favorite thing. I mean, I don't. I like. I like scary movies and stuff. I'm not. I don't Man. avoid that stuff. I am depressed, Chuck. On Twitter the other day, I said the best scary movie I, or the best horror movie I haven't seen. Go, and I have heard of Vampire in Brooklyn, Eddie Murphy. Every single, <laughs> every single suggestion, and there were a bunch of suggestions that everybody shot back. So I realized. I'm really running low on good horror movies. They they aren't around much anymore. Like the ones that are, to me, the ones that are genuinely scary are the ones that get into your head. Yeah. Um, and I'll take a fair amount of jump scares mm-hmm. because that's a part of it. If it's got the tension ratcheted up. Right. But um, the ones these days, man, just the the disgusting uh, torture porn thing. I'm just not into that. No, I'm not either. It's just such an easy, cheap. Yeah, they don't Whatever. scare me. Exactly. They just repulse me. Exactly. Which is a totally different sensation. You know, that's fine if you like to be repulsed in it, whatever. Yeah. Like, that's the, it's great for that. But that's not true fear. No. It's not um, being scared necessarily. It's different. Yeah. I do have a recommendation for you, though. A movie? Uh-huh. It's called either The Lady in Black or Woman in Black. And it's a, it stars a grown-up Harry Potter. So it's fairly new. I think it's, it came out in the last couple of years. The Daniel Radcliffe guy? Uh-huh. Okay. And he does a great job. It's almost exclusively just him in the movie. Oh, wow. Is he um, the lady in black? <laughs> <laughs> he does double duty. Oh, nice. And there are some like, um, like Conjuring-esque style like CGI ghost graphics. Yeah. But it's not overdone. And it's not overblown. And it is a genuinely frightening ghost story. Conjuring was okay. It was okay. This one, I would say this one might be better. And uh, and uh, that guy is it? I don't know if it's Ty or T West. T I is his name. He's a director that did um, mm-hmm. the Innkeepers and. Uh, oh yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah, and then uh, I can't remember the. Did he do House of the Devil? Th- those are pretty good because he's a little more old school. <clears throat> he's not just trying to outgore you or right. shock you. It's um, he tries to build genuine suspense and dread. The same guy did both of those movies. Uh, not The Conjuring. No, no, the, the Innkeepers and uh, House of the Devil. I think so. Because both of those were good movies. Yeah. They seem totally different, though. Yeah, I may be wrong on that. The but Innkeepers, that was a slow burn that managed to pay off, but it took a long time to build yeah, up. Yeah, it was a little slow. Like, it didn't even try to 
start the scares yeah. until like 30 minutes in. Yeah, you know the lady that's in that is uh, Kelly McGillis. Did you realize that? Yeah. I didn't know till the end of the movie it said Kelly McGillis. It's like, oh, she's got the same name as that lady from Top Gun. Yeah, I think. But then it's really her. Right. She looks so different now. Yes. So uh, that's our Josh and Chuck's Horror Movie <laughs> Corner. You know, we should we should have done a uh, maybe next year we'll just do one of those. Okay, like a total horror movie uh, talk fest. Sounds good. They're, those are fun. But back to the uh, more boring subject of haunted house attractions. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the industry is huge. Like you said, there's a lot of money to be made, and uh, no two haunted houses are going to be alike. Sometimes these folks that open them buy an old home or something and mm-hmm. own it and do this every year. Sometimes they rent out a space. Uh, the ones I've been to haven't been in the actual space. wasn't some like cool old house or like a penitentiary, or yeah. Apparently, Eastern State Penitentiary is converted yeah. each year, and that is a scary, scary place. Just normally looking at it, yeah. Uh, the only ones I've been to are the ones that it's it's like it's in a big open like a shopping center where there used to be a oh like a Zales Jewelry closed down. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ghost of capitalism. <laughs> Um, And then you have themes. Some of them, uh, I I think the better haunted houses have themes because when you talk about scares, you can be all over the map um, from doing something like with a movie theme where you have Mm. classic horror movies or serial killers or crazy scientists or like vampires and monsters and ghouls and goblins. Yes. Those are two very different kind of themes. Apparently, um, Rob Zombie's got his own jam going it's, in Chicago. It's called his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's called Rob Zombie's Great American Nightmare, Yeah, which I think is supposed to be a play on the American dream. But one <laughs> of the rooms is the John Wayne Gacy room, and it's like John, a guy dressed up like John Wayne Gacy's Bubbles the Clown. I think that was the name of his clown, wasn't it? Uh, that sounds right. Um, just kind of hanging out in like a recliner or whatever. And this is Chicago. And that's where John Wayne Gacy killed his victims. Yeah. And a lot of the victims' families are still around, so everybody's up in arms, and Rob Zombie's like, could not care less. Thank you for the free press. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, clowns are... I posted something on our Facebook page the other day because that new clown in um, American Horror Story. Uh-huh. Have you seen this clown yet? No. Uh, Twisty the Clown? Uh-uh. The guy that made that show was like, just wait. I, I have to, like... I know clowns can be scary, but I have got the scariest clown ever. Awesome. And it's pretty scary, dude. Yeah? Yeah, like I'm not bothered by it, by things like that much, but I saw this clown, and I'm not into that show, but I did watch the scenes that that clown was in just to see what it was like. Yeah. It's pretty frightening. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, and and there's a broad daylight killing, which are always super scary to me. Oh, yeah, like they, they don't care about... Yeah. There's no hiding it or anything yeah that, that right adds out in an, the open like a beautiful blue sky out in a beautiful field oh yeah and th- those kind of creep me out more yeah because the whole idea of like oh it's a good day to die <laughs> yeah to me <laughs> that doesn't mean it's beautiful out it means like it's uh-huh. like the world's already ending now it's a good day to die right you know <laughs> yeah. the earth is opening up and magma is pouring out 
that is possibly a good day to die. <laughs> then the serial killer can come along. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if you're opening one of these haunted houses, mm-hmm. you can count on spending, because this is a good idea. You can make some good dough if you've got the funds to get it going. Sure. Um, 15 to $25 per square foot for decorating and special effects is what... Just that alone. Yeah, is what you're going to... And that's not counting the renting or buying of the structure itself. Right. So you have uh, 5,000 foot scare footage... Okay. <laughs> That's what I was going for. That's good. You can be spending up to 125 grand just in decorations and scares and tricks. Yeah, and you may be able to reuse a lot of that from year to year, but you probably shouldn't put out the same thing every year because if you're in the same space doing the same thing, you're not going to get yeah. repeat customers. No. So you want to turn over like 30 to 40% of that each year uh, to new stuff. Right. And like you said, themes often change. So just changing the theme alone is going to require that you change this this um, well your layout, I guess, to an extent. Yeah. Like if you're doing scary clowns, sure, you're probably going to have to get rid of your OR setting or whatever, <laughs> right? Unless you do a clown doing surgery, which is kind of scary, but it just seems a little off. Yeah. Yeah, clown doing surgery—that's just dumb. <laughs> Um, that'd be pretty scary. The clown hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't they have that? Uh, Children's Hospital has right. a clown character. That's what I'm thinking Rob of. Rob Cordry. Yeah. Sure. Um, and by the way, this is written by Kristen Conger from Stuff Mom Never Told You, and she actually interviewed a few owners of haunted houses to get some good inside poop. And um, the, that's where we're, like, getting these numbers. And they say to open one up. It's... <laughs> I was just making mine up. <laughs> oh, you were? Yeah. Um, they said to open one up, you not only, obviously, it's it's a fun job, but you've got to have a lot of business acumen, too. It's not just like, oh, this will be a hoot. Right. Like, you've got to be super focused in it and have a good business brain or you're not going to make any money. Plus, also, um, safety is a big, big deal. Oh, it's huge. Especially after a fateful event in 1984 at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey. Yeah. There was, they had a 17-trailer interconnected, modular, haunted house. Dark ride, basically, but a walking dark ride. So it was a haunted house. Um, And it was basically a fire trap. And it went up. And eight teenagers got trapped inside and died in the fire. Yeah. There were no fire sprinklers. There were no obvious uh, um, emergency exit signs or anything like that. And um, as a result, yeah, 1984. That's what happened back then. Yeah, but you'd think like <clears throat> by the time the 80s rolled around, people would have figured out, oh, if somebody lights a match in here or doesn't put their cigarette out, because yeah. again, it's the 80s, so people so still smoked <laughs> everywhere, yeah. the whole thing's going to go up because it's all plywood and foam, and maybe we should put fire sprinklers in. But yeah. apparently it took this tragedy to really uh, change the industry, but it did. Yeah, and safety is, like you said, a huge, huge part of it because you're in the dark, you've got... Things flying out and props swooping down and people jumping out. And, uh, I mean, anything can happen to go wrong and someone can get injured. So Yeah, and actually, did you hear about the girl in 2011? No. There was an employee at at one of the ones outside of St. Louis called Creepy World. Uh And um, she worked there and somehow got caught in a noose and accidentally hung herself. That sounds like a story that you hear. You would think so. It is so well documented that it actually did happen. I'm quite sure. Crazy. Uh, But she survived. Oh. Um, She suffered some brain damage to to an extent from what I understand. Oh. Um, 
I don't know if it was extensive or not. I'm on a roller coaster of emotion here. <laughs> right. But she, I mean, she did survive, but she, she accidentally got caught in the noose and, and hung herself. And it's possible some patrons passed her by thinking that she was, a, oh, yeah. like, that's the, what, what was supposed to be going on. Yeah, I've, I've heard some story that is not that of someone who hung themselves on Halloween yeah. and everyone thought it was a, uh, a, just a decoration in the front yard. My friend, you need to go watch the most recent Don't Be Dumb. Oh, really? It comes out this week. Is it about that? Yes. Is that an old white? Well, don't spoil it. Okay. People should go watch it. Go watch Don't Be Dumb About That. Man, that's a good one. And tell them Josh sent you. (laughs) Um, So after you've got your safety system worked out, you've got your fire safety, you've got your sprinkler system, you've got flame retardant uh, material, you've got cameras set up everywhere, everyone has signed a lengthy waiver, Mm -hmm. even if they do get hurt. they could probably still try and sue you, but you're trying to avoid that at all costs. Uh, what you're going to have is some sort of a maze-like structure yeah, uh, where you're walking around, sort of lost, but really just getting shuffled along uh, a path. Right. And there's, like you said earlier, there's this thing called throughput. So there's a lot of thought put into it because apparently the worst thing you can do in a haunted house, and this makes sense, is to let the group behind catch up to the group ahead. Yeah, that ruins the whole thing. Ruins everything. Because you're in a group, it depends, but I don't know, six or eight people. But And you don't want the scare that already happened to be apparent to the group that hasn't gotten there yet. Like you see the chainsaw guy crawling back into his little tree exactly, stump Exactly, right, yeah. exactly. So um, this throughput is basically a calculation of how many people you can push through at what intervals to, say, meet your nightly ticket quota. So the, the numbers that Conger gives um, is to, to get 500 people through in a night, you can put a group of six, you can set them out uh, every 25 to 30 seconds, and they shouldn't bump into one another. Yeah. And then one of the ways that, that um, employees make sure that these groups don't bump into one another is the way that they scare people. Yeah, it's called uh, scaring forward. <laughs> Which makes sense. It does. It's uh, kind of an interesting, boring term. Um, but what they're doing is usually jumping behind you as you walk through the group to mm-hmm. make you go in a forward. They don't want to jump out in front of you and have you move in the, in the direction you just came from. Right, backward. Yeah, so they want to scare you forward, and that is a little tip. If you are not into being the 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 lead person being scared then you should be in the lead because right. it's probably going to come from behind you. It's pretty counterintuitive. Yeah, but you think, true. I'm going to be in the back and I'll be just fine. Yeah. You're the one that's going to get grabbed. Because if they jump out at the front of the group again, it's going to push the group backward and the group ahead is going to run into the group behind and that's very bad. Yeah, and I say get grabbed, you probably won't get touched. No, there apparently are some haunted house attractions that do light touching, but you're going to be <laughs> fully informed. That just sounds so creepy. It really does. Light touching. Uh, you're going to be fully informed. Like it's not going to, you're not going to not know that it's coming. Like in line, they're going to be like, sign this, an initial here, an initial here, an initial here. And uh, we're going to give you a um, heart attack test first. Yeah. Just to make sure, please step on this treadmill. That kind of thing. <laughs> See, that's how I would really scare people to say, you know, none of the actors are allowed to touch anyone. So if you're getting touched, that means something has gone horribly wrong. Right. <laughs> and then have people you grabbing you. So <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll get to in a minute um, the new extreme ones where there's not only touching, like it's beyond anything that you could imagine. Right. But we'll get to that soon. 
Uh, and since we mentioned actors hiding, uh, those are called scare pockets. Yeah, where they hide and yeah. then jump out from. Yeah, so like they're hiding behind that tree, <clears throat> and they may distract you with uh, a bat swooping down in the other direction. There's a lot of distraction going on because what they don't want is you to be focused on the clearly placed faux tree trunk that has a, the smell of a chainsaw right, exactly. engine. <laughs> yeah. But there won't be any blade on that chainsaw, by the way. No, and a good actor also will scramble back into place very quickly. Yeah. Um, because the longer they hang out and are like, huh? Huh? Right. The more you're going to be like, you're just some teenager. Yeah. Who, who doesn't scare me. Yeah, and if you're looking to save a little money, you might want to double up and have that scare pocket have a couple of different ways that it can go. Like, I can jump out on these people on the right who are in this one part of the haunted house, then I can scramble back and then hit these people on the left, not hit them, jump out and scare them. Um, and that way you're saving a little dough with your actors. Yeah, doubling or tripling your people. Uh, and then apparently, Chuck, lastly, um, th- a lot of the uh, attractions are run on compressed air that is set off either through motion sensors, which I think everybody expects, yeah. but also through touch pads, yeah. which makes sense. Because you can control that, right? Well, with a, with a motion sensor, every group's going to set off that effect. At the same point. Right. And what it does is it opens the valve and all of a sudden the skeleton sits up in the coffin or comes out from the side or and something hear, like that. Right, exactly. You hear some weird air. Exactly right. <laughs> um, that was a really good impression. Right. Uh, with a touchpad, though, if you, say, place the square off to the left or something, not every group is going to walk over the touchpad. Yeah. So not every group is going to get the same set of scares, so it kind of randomizes the thing, which in turn makes the whole experience even more frightening. Because if you hear the group ahead sure. at the curve scream, and you hear when that you air get cannon. to that scream, <laughs> yeah. exactly, when you get to that curve, you're going to be prepared. And if nothing happens, well, then, my friend, you're just even more keyed up for the next one. That's right. Yeah. And you're keyed up to begin with walking in there because a good haunted house <clears throat> will put a little bit of money into getting you all uh, ramped up in the parking lot, in the line. They okay. might have creeps dressed up, roaming yeah. around. Uh, they may have sound effects and spooky music and like an <laughs> air horn blast, yeah. which is really uncool. Yeah. And that's just got you on edge. By the time you walk in that place, you're ready yeah. to be scared. Um, all right, Chuck. Yeah. We've teased it enough. Let's talk about extreme haunted houses, which apparently are so extreme that people who are haunted house enthusiasts, like the people who are like in the industry, yeah. don't even like these things to be called extreme haunted houses because they're so extreme. Yeah. That's what I gather. Yeah. And these are to say these are interactive is uh, not really putting a fine point on it. They are mm. – you're basically paying money – to be treated like an assault victim yeah, for up to seven hours. Like you might be put in a headlock. Yeah. You might uh, – wh- where's the one? There's one in San Diego. Yeah, uh, McKamey Manor okay. is renowned as like the worst of the worst. It, the the video that I saw, it was like you are like covered in blood. Dude, it was unbelievable. Put into like a coffin and somebody is like in there writhing on top of you. Yeah. 
in the dark. And you're trying to get out, and they're pulling you back in. Right. And and just like, it's insane how intense this thing looks. Yeah, they had a cage that locks your head in. Yeah. That they're d- dropping like fake snakes in. Yeah. Which is not as bad as live snakes, but it's still pretty bad. And apparently, the um, the the catchphrase of everybody who goes through these things is, let me out of here. Yeah. Except they shout or cry it. Well, yeah, but apparently, supposedly, uh, McKamey Manor, it's open year-round. Oh, yeah? And they only take four people a day yeah. through this thing. But like you said, it's up to seven hours long in some cases, right? Yeah, so they'll take in, I think, just one at a time. You have to go through by yourself. Mm-hmm. And they only do four people a day. It's only open on the weekends. And I don't know if this is true. Supposedly, the one rule, like you have to apply, fill out an application to go through this thing. Right. And be super fit yeah. and super psychologically fit. And um, because you're getting a physically like abused in some cases, like nothing you can't walk away from, but you know they're they're mangling you without hurting you. Well, yeah, and they held, I saw they held one guy's face in front of a toilet and it shot up some yeah. noxious stuff out of it. Like stuff like that. So on one hand, it is like physically abusive. On the other, it's uh, like almost laughable that they, like these people really put their minds to it. Yeah. And th- they came up with shooting stuff out of a toilet in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but supposedly you can't leave this one at all. Like there is no safe word. I just don't believe that. I don't believe it either, but it's free. The one in San Diego is really, at, yeah, it's free. And the, and that's the one hook is, is that you're not allowed to leave what you, you sign a document that says, I'm going to go through this thing from beginning to end. Whatevs. That's what I say. Yeah. I would trust me. I would get out of that place. Sure. Like I would, yeah, I would bust through a wall or something. Yeah. If that's what it took. Chuck Murray. <laughs> but that is McCamey Manor, and that is uh, was constructed by Russ uh, McCamey, who's a terror fanatic. Uh, they also have one in New York and L.A. called Blackout, uh-huh. one called Gates of Hell in Las Vegas. And the common denominator of all these is you're getting physically, like you don't wear clothes you ever want to wear again because you're going to have fake blood and vomit mm. thrown in your face. Hopefully fake. And be physically assaulted. I mean, they have scenes where you're like, where there's a rapist after you. Right. It's really dark so, and disturbing. Uh, they, with haunted house enthusiasts who criticize these kind of things, it's usually because they say there's no story to it. There's very rarely buildup. It's all just payoff, 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 yeah. payoff. Like all of it. It's just, there's no, there's no, well, there's no ratcheting up of tension. It's, it's like just, those movies yeah, that we were talking about. Very much so. It's the haunted attraction version of, uh, I don't even know what they are. I don't watch any of them. Like Hostel. Oh, okay. I did see that one, actually. What did you think? Yeah. Anytime, if you're going to pull out that rusty tray of medical instruments, mm-hmm. you've lost me. Yeah. That is such a trope by now, you know? You know who did do it well was the first couple Hellraisers. They used medical instruments to yeah, really... Yeah, but that was back in the day. ...disheartening degree effect. Yeah. Uh, the ones that scare me the most, again, to delve back into movies, <clears> like, <throat> did you ever see Wolf Creek? Uh, no. It's set in the Australian outback. Is it's it good? like, yeah, it's the kids whose car breaks down, and all of a sudden the rest of the movie is them getting traced, uh, chased by this homicidal maniac. Okay, that to me is what's called a psychological thriller. Yeah. That's not, I mean, yes, I understand it is horror. Friday the 13th, that's like Hallmark horror, but it's, it's slasher just movie. different. Yeah, the slasher movie is just, it's just different yeah. to me. And there's not enough true 
genuine horror movies, in my opinion, which amount to basically supernatural horror, I guess is how you'd put it. That's what I'm into. You should check out Wolf Creek. It's the... the uh, I will. I have no problem with it. It's just, as far as horror goes, I'm not scared by that. I want to be scared. You might be scared. Okay. <laughs> I'll check it out. The the, the murderous guy is, is a really, like, kind of a mm. great character, and I think he falls into the pantheon of classic, like, Michael Myers characters. Oh, yeah? Like, yeah, one of the good slashers. Yeah. Um, which brings us to the Hell Houses, yeah. which, um, like we said, was sort of started back in the, the dark ages of Christianity. Uh, they, they do this today. The, the most famous one is in uh, Cedar Hill, Texas, and there's a documentary called Hell House on these things, I think, from like 2002. Prayer camp? No, Hell okay. House. I got you. <laughs> and uh, the idea of these is uh, run by uh, churches usually, and they are to, just like in the old days, scare you into walking the straight and narrow. Right. And actually, they were they were originated by Jerry Falwell back in the 70s. Yeah, those and, are the first ones, I think. Yeah, and then in the 90s, that church in Texas you mentioned took over Abundant Life Christian Center. Um, and they took over, and they started actually packaging it. They started selling hell houses for like $299, $299. Yeah. And it was kind of like, do you remember those JCs in the 70s uh-huh. that came up with the haunted house package? Yeah. These are the same things, but for hell houses. And then there's modules that you can buy that cost additional amounts of money so that you can add rooms to it. And so like a room you might buy is the abortion room. Right. And in the abortion room, um, you're taught how to use uh, raw meat that's like a stand-in for a fetus that you throw into a glass bowl. you got to make sure it's a glass bowl so everybody can see through into it. Dude, the, the quote literally from the manual that they distribute on how to run these says, quote, Purchase a meat product that closely resembles pieces of a baby to be placed in a glass bowl. Right. This so that's their suggestion. That's a room from Hell House. Yeah, and, and this is to keep you from having premarital sex. Exactly. Obviously. Subtlety is not a, uh, a, a hallmark of the Hell House. No. Um, so, for example, like if you there – was, there's one from New Destiny Christian Center. Um, it's called The Rave Scene. And basically it's about um, – Club drugs and uh, death, teenage death. Like pretty much everybody uh, dies or takes their own life um, as a result of... Of sin. Yes, of their sin. Yeah, like the lesbian suicide room. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, a young lady succumbs to lesbianism and uh, is so mistreated and... Um, she she goes to... Uh, she's, she's not a lesbian. She's just saving herself. And is mistaken for a lesbian, oh. confusingly. Okay. And then uh, it, it then kills herself because her best friend rejects her and calls her a lesbian when she went to go hug her. That was that was from the Vice article you sent, at least. Yeah, that's a great article. Um, but uh, like you UK said, Vice. It, it's all repercussions of sins. So there's the, the lesbian suicide room. There's the uh, AIDS room. Right. The abortion room. The... Um, domestic violence room, the DUI room, uh-huh. and they're all just enacting these horrific scenes until you get finally to hell is at the end, mm-hmm. not at the very end. Right. Um, and hell is where they're, you know, displaying what hell looks like with ghouls and demons. And uh, and then finally you get to go to heaven. Well, this is what makes a hell house a hell house. The, like the, you the last descend room. through these different types of sin sure. into hell. And then when you come out, you emerge through hell, and then the real-life preacher is there yeah. saying, hey, how about you repent? And for those of you who aren't saved, 
why don't you come on over to our church and we'll save you? Yeah, they call it in the Vice article, they call it the, uh, it's a, a really cool pastor who jumps out and is the good cop to Hell House's bad cop. <laughs> and he's like, you can avoid all this scary stuff if you, uh, you know, take the Lord Jesus as your savior. Right. And sometimes they'll do that right in the room and have you sign something. Oh, I can imagine. And uh, that's the Hell House. And in that Vice article, it's crazy. Um, the author mentions that a, a little boy goes off and vomits during the Hell House. Yeah. So apparently they're very effective. Well, if the object is to make you sick and vomit. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> vomit from fear for your soul. And they're still around. It seems like something that um, might have gone by the wayside. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, you can still go to Hell Houses in a lot of places. I have one more thing for you, Chuck. What you got? Go to BuzzFeed.com. You may have heard of that website. Sure. Uh, and search for 44 best picks of scared bros at Haunted oh, Houses. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. remember where the Haunted House is, but it's all the same background, but uh-huh. very much like roller coasters. Yeah. They take a photo of this one spot. Right. And it's the, like the scariest spot. And... Um, the people are... It's great. They're wonderful, hilarious yeah. photos. <laughs> and, like, it's been around. I think they first um, started publishing them in 2011. So they've been around for years, and they're still just as funny as ever. It's great. The The scared face is just so pure to me because it's just <laughs> pure reaction. Yeah. Like, the toughest dude in the world. Like, trying to climb over his girlfriend or <laughs> yeah. push her toward whatever he's afraid of or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's whatever is happening in that two seconds. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. So uh, that's Haunted House Attractions, everybody. I know. Uh, If you want to know more about them, type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Karate Kid email. Awesome. Which was the scariest movie I've ever seen. Uh, If you listen to our karate episode, we wax philosophical about the Karate Kid movie. And we got a lot of emails of um, people feeling great waves of nostalgia. Uh, and talking about it. Um, so here we go. I imagine you guys will get dozens of versions of this similar email. I uh, just listened to Karate and uh, have not finished it yet, but I'm writing about the first seven to eight minutes specifically. Your ode to the Karate Kid was beautiful. I got goosebumps along with Chuck. Uh, I may have also had a tear in my eye. When he described that magical moment in the film where it all comes together and we realize, mm-hmm. along with Daniel-san, that Mr. Miyagi is truly a genius. <laughs> Um, by the way, Ralph Macchio is named his son Daniel. Isn't is that, that right? Mm-hmm. After himself. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. After the best version of himself. Uh, I recently sent the Karate Kid to my six-year-old nephew to ensure that despite what his friends and media try to tell him, he will know that Ralph Macchio is the original and only Karate Kid. Yeah. Uh, when I called him and asked what his favorite part was, he actually started singing, You're the best around. Nice. Nothing's ever gonna get you down. Uh, it was the proudest moment of my aunthood so far. Now, Chuck, I implore you to watch The Karate Kid 2. Uh, after all the other films that attempt to be a part of the franchise are a travesty, 2 is incredibly good. It is very good. The Peter Cetera song Josh mentioned, Glory of Love, was my first ever favorite song when I was six. It's a good song. Because of the film. It is a classic, and I think you were missing out. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll check it out. Uh, anyways, thanks for sending me to work this morning with an extra bounce in my step and a song in my heart. That is from Nicole Beal at Jed's Barbershop, Salt Lake City, Utah. Go get her to cut your head. Nice. Hair. Not your head. <laughs> she's doing a terrible job if she's cutting your head. Thanks a lot, Nicole. Um, did you know our friend Van Nostrand? Uh, does his band, The Bangalores, do a cover of You're the Best Around? 
I knew he loved that song. I, I don't know if I knew they actually covered it. It's good. You can go to SoundCloud, <laughs> search Bangalore's, and you're the best around. It's on there. Oh, I'm going to do that right after this. Too. Uh, if you want to let us know that we nailed something, we want to hear about it. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.